Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the College Football Playoff Show, where college football playoff contenders earn the right to be discussed and where the playoff never ends. Now, here are your hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. Everybody, welcome back in. Doug and Shahan on the College Football Playoff Show. This week, you know how we do it by now. You're getting the hang of it. We discuss a team, should they join the playoff mix? That, that team this week? The Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Will they join our list? That includes Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Texas A&M, Georgia, and Iowa State. Those are the seven teams that we have deemed to be playoff contenders. Will Notre Dame join that mix? And then in the second half, we say, okay, whether Notre Dame's in or not, we're now going to rank all of our contenders by a specific category. And this week, that is head coach. Because there's nothing that someone like Nick Saban enjoys more and a couple knuckleheads like us deciding if he's good at his job or not. So we are Doug Maurice and Shahan J. Haraja. We're thankful to you guys for joining us. We're rolling, right? We're like a month into this thing. Season's around the corner. We're so grateful you're part of it. If you want to be a tech subscriber and get into it more, you get texts about college football on your phone. We're going to have a vote later about whether Notre Dame should make it in. I get a vote. Shahan gets a vote. The tech subscribers get a vote. We have a poll. We have poll results from them. And then also, Shahan, this week added a wrinkle I surveyed, we're going to rank our coaches. I surveyed the texters and asked them to rank their coaches, and we will include that in this. So I like to think of it as us taking the tech subscribers down with the ship with us, that for some reason, if this doesn't go well, it's like, well, the tech subscribers voted that way too. So it's more about sharing the blame. So we're asking people to pay money to share the blame. Wow. Yeah. I- I certainly was hoping that you'd go in more optimistic, but I guess uh, oh. I guess let's, let's get at it. <laughs> John's like, what have I gotten myself into? No, but it's like, it's one of those things. It's like, hey, like if, if like Dabo Sweeney's like, hey, this national college pod, hey, they didn't rank me high enough. It's like, well, listen, these anonymous people who who rank things in order on an app, they did it too, Dabo. So it's not just Shahan. It's, I'm mostly going to blame you. Let's get to Notre Dame. Should they be in or not? We start with opening statements. Shahan, you are arguing the pro. Why should Notre Dame join the playoff mix? Everybody remembers a couple of years ago, Brian Kelly, Notre Dame went four and eight, completely embarrassed themselves. Uh, you know, just looked like a turning point in the program. Things were about to go downhill. Well, since that moment, since that 2016 season, Notre Dame is 43 and eight with multiple college football playoff appearances to its name. Now, it hasn't won a game. It hasn't won a national championship, but they have consistently put themselves into that discussion as much as really any team outside of those top four teams has done so. 
And heading into the next season, a lot of the things that you like about this Notre Dame team from last year are coming back. You have Kyle Hamilton, maybe the best free safety in all of football coming back, maybe the best defensive player in that conversation for sure, uh, coming back as a third-year player. Uh, you lost defensive coordinator Clark Lee to Vanderbilt, and you lost a head coach to the SEC, and you might have upgraded by bringing in Marcus Freeman, the defensive coordinator at Cincinnati, who did a tremendous job last year, was a big part of the reason they were top 10. And the other thing that you like about this for Notre Dame is that the schedule has enough to bolster your resume so that if you do well, if you win 11 games, you're going to be a, a pretty clear shot in. But it's manageable. You get Cincinnati, you get USC, you get North Carolina all at home. So you could potentially eliminate some college football playoff contenders and like Doug likes to talk about, absorb their momentum and you also get Wisconsin at a neutral site in Chicago. So you don't have to play any of those four teams on the road. Uh, the path is there. The talent is there. Uh, the track record is there. I think Notre Dame uh, deserves, in this, deserves to be in this discussion. So Notre Dame is the only team that was not part of our original four that has made multiple playoff appearances. They've made two, but we didn't lump them in with Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Oklahoma. And I think justifiably. But this is not Notre Dame at its best, in my opinion. And I think when you look at the quarterback position, first and foremost, they're playing a guy, likely playing a guy in Jack Cohn. And again, we're kind of in that range where they're going to start naming their starting quarterback. But it's the transfer from Wisconsin who left because Graham Mertz was, was moving up the ranks at Wisconsin. And it's just the kind of transfer to me that is, it's normal, it's common, but it's it's the kind of transfer that a team that is right below playoff contender gets, right? That we'll take the Wisconsin guy who was not as good as the young up-and-coming Wisconsin guy. And so when you're taking like, and, and he's not Joe Burrow, right? That, I mean, it's like everything, well, worked for LSU. It's like, okay, that was like a one-time thing. This is not that. So that makes me skeptical. And then I think, Shahan, Notre Dame just continually, and Brian Kelly has said this a lot this offseason, they're good, they're trying to be great. So it's a matter like, I don't. this is not a dispute about whether Notre Dame is good. It's, it's a question about whether good deserves to be in a playoff discussion. And so I think when you look at quarterback, you look at their recent recruiting, you know, they have some, like a handful of top 100 guys each year, but like not a ton of them. Like Kyle Hamilton's one of them, right? You see when they get a top 100 national recruit, what happens? Like the guy pops, he's might be the best defensive player in college football. They're starting quarterbacks at Boston College. Phil Jerkovic was was a top 100 national player a couple years ago. Didn't work out at Notre Dame, went to Boston College. He should be their guy right now. He'd be making a difference here probably. So I get that that happens. But I think when you just compare them to almost everybody among our contenders, other than Iowa State, they're just a step short on baseline talent. And Iowa State has a bunch of veteran guys. They have a great coach. Like They have like a perfect situation to be in our playoff mix. I don't think Notre Dame has the perfect situation. They lost Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, who was one of the best defensive players in the country last year. They don't have a, an automatic replacement for him. Their receivers are kind of questionable. They have a lot of, like, at least three kind of uncertain spots on the offensive line. I just think at their best, they're only good, not great. And I don't think they're at their best. So I think they might be a step short in this discussion. That's how we present it. So you guys understand all the sides of this, right? And I think we hit both sides of the Notre Dame argument here, Shahan. Now we analyze the teams with three different categories. The first one, and we talk about 
are they a little bit legitimate national championship contender? And again, you don't have to be a national championship contender to be on this podcast because it's not a national championship pod. It's a playoff pod. They're not. Like they haven't been, even at their best, when they get there and you see them against a team like Bama and it's like, okay, well, this is where they're not quite there. And I don't think this is a step up year for them. Now, they are hitting some dudes in recruiting lately, like right now. They're doing some things at at important positions in recruiting where I think you can see it coming. But I think, at least for a roster like this, I think this is only a playoff discussion. Even if Alabama's down, I don't think it's a national title discussion for Notre Dame. Do you think it is? No, I don't think so. And I believe we talked about it a couple weeks ago that when you look at these top contenders, really all of them, uh, they all have game breakers on offense. Because I do want to say, Defensively, they lost a couple of key guys, like you mentioned, JOK being one of those guys. I don't worry about them on the defensive side of the ball. I think that they they are going to be very good. I think that they're going to be a top 25, top 20, top 15 type defense. Uh, I'm not concerned about them developing. I'm not concerned about them schematically. I think that they're going to be solid on defense. I wouldn't expect a huge step back, but you do come back to the offense. And the, the thing about the last couple of years, you know, the thing is always Notre Dame, go find a quarterback. Well, they had the second leading passer in the history of Notre Dame the past couple of years in Ian Book, who was very good. The bigger issue with this team has been that they haven't had those explosive guys outside. Now, uh, I believe it was Equimanius St. Brown was the one that came through Notre Dame, right? I mean, they've had individual players, but they've never had units that have been consistently good. And Last year, they actually did a real good job of recruiting. I mean, because apparently I'm going to I'm going to be the one who starts the conversation about stars. (laughs) So Michael Mayer, a tight end who came in a five star tight end, he played up to that level, right? He was 45 catches for 450 yards. He's going to be their top receiver this year, most likely. And that's great. Having a really good tight end is really special. When you have a good tight end because you don't have good receivers, I, I don't know about that, right? I mean, you just don't expect explosive plays in that way from the tight end. And they had a top 50 national receiver in Jordan Johnson. They had an all-purpose back who was top 100 in Chris Tyree. But we haven't seen that come to fruition as yet. And if you can't be explosive, that's been the difference between uh, th- these Notre Dame teams and the top of college football is they have not been explosive really on either side of the ball. And I don't necessarily see that changing, uh, if not even taking a step back in 2021. They have some older receivers. Kevin Austin is a guy who's been beset by injury. I think he's played like 12 or 13 games in the last three years. He's a guy that they're kind of maybe hopeful about. Like, could that guy break out? But again, he's a senior. It's like that's they're kind of they're sort of counting on like seniors who haven't done a ton yet, who haven't broken out yet. That's a tough place to live. As you said, the tight ends, their best. He let. He's their highest returning yardage guy and catches guy, which is great, but is not Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave or Justin Ross or Marvin cool. Mims or like you know what I mean. Like it's just, yeah. it's really. It just makes everything. You just lose your room for error, right? You just you have to be almost perfect, and so because they don't have ex- that explosion, I think that's a very good way to put it. I think they have to play a perfect game. Like two perfect games to win a national title, and like, and who? How, how do you do that? And again, I don't think this is the quarterback to play two perfect games. And so, I do like their running backs are really good. Yep, Kyron, Kyron Williams and um, Chris Tyree. I really like. I mean, I yeah. people. Chris Tyree is again. He's a legit dude. Again, but it's the proof of Michael Mayer, Kyle Hamilton, 
Chris Tyree, these are all top 100 national recruits. It's like, you just need more of them, Notre Dame. You see what happens, right, when you do when you can do this. So they have a really good one-two punch at running back, but I just think, I think the passing game is just going to hold them back a little bit, and they're just going to have enough games where it's, it's going to hold them back. They're not a national title contender. Roadblock is what we talk about. What's going to stand in the way? Is it the schedule? Is it, is it a particular position? Is it something off the field? What looks like the biggest roadblock for Notre Dame? So I mentioned it in, in the intro. The schedule is manageable. You get three of the four key games at home. I think if you win three of those games, go 11-1. and one, I think that you have a real good chance to be playing in the college football playoff. Uh, so I don't think that the schedule is it. And I think that the schedule is both hard enough without being too hard that uh, that a playoff contender should be able to get through it. It's it's almost perfect. Yeah, because it's like Wisconsin, Cincinnati, USC, North Carolina are good enough to get your attention. Right. But none of them are going to have a, a huge talent edge right. on Notre Dame. I mean, right. Keaton Slovis and Sam Howell, they're they're better quarterbacks than what Definitely. Notre Dame has. So is Desmond Ritter. So is Graham Mertz. Okay, they're going to have the worst quarterback in all, in all four of those games. Right. But it's not like playing Clemson, Bama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, like Georgia, right? Like they played Georgia last year. Like it is a, it is a right in that window of res, they'll gain respect with the wins, but they don't have to necessarily overachieve or do something beyond their talent level to win those games. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? I I do want to point out Jack Cohn coming in, likely the starting quarterback, uh, one that says to me that they don't feel like Drew Pine is ready. They don't feel right. like he's ready to be the guy. Uh, but two, I think the thing is, so Jack Cohn last year, in the last several years, obviously, being at Wisconsin, lost his starting quarterback job to Graham Mertz, who was the top recruit at quarterback that Wisconsin's maybe ever gotten, right? Like, so right. no shame in that, but it was decisive. It was definitive. There was no question about it. He never got into a game after that last season, and I feel like I just look at the transfer wire and I'm like, is this like the guy? Is this the guy that you're like, he's going to save our team? He's going to save our season? Because I think even with Ian Book, one of the things that you saw was that he was not a game manager, right? He was somebody who went out and made plays. And that kind of helped offset a receiver room whose second leading wide receiver was a transfer from Northwestern who didn't really do anything at Northwestern, right? Like, yeah. That's what it took. It took a guy going out there and making plays to make the college football playoff and obviously beat Clemson even without Trevor Lawrence. And so I don't think that you have that in Jack Cohn. This is a guy who's going to come in and, and really more run the system. He's fundamentally sound. He's accurate within a reason as long as he's not asked to do too much. Well, that's the issue. You, you need him to do more than that, I think. And especially with the defense that, let's just say, it drops 5% from last year. I mean, to go through the schedule and be 11-1 and or 12-0... and I just don't see that upside for him. And I obviously don't think, like I mentioned before, I don't think the receivers are good enough to help carry him there. No, I think that's right. So you're saying the quarterback position itself yes. is probably their biggest roadblock. I think that's true kind of in combination maybe with their offensive line. Yeah. And this is Jarrett Patterson. It, it, it seemed like, you know, reading the stuff in the offseason, I guess he's a, he's a more natural center, but it felt like, well, maybe he'll move the tackle. Maybe he'll move to guard. And I know like Brian Kelly... At his opening news conference, when they started practice, said we're going to keep him at center. It's the best thing for him. It's the best thing for his career. We're going to keep him at center. So you got a veteran guy at center. He said Josh Lug is the other guy that you know is going to be out there. He was the right tackle a year ago. I know he was getting a lot of questions about Blake Fisher at left tackle. That's a true freshman who is a top 100 national recruit. But the whole thing 
about when you're Bama and Clemson and Ohio State is that you get top 100 linemen and you don't have to play them at freshman because they're right. behind the other top 100 linemen that you had in the previous class and the class before that. When you are at a level where it's like, hey, we have a top 100 national recruit at tackle. Let's play him right away. It's like, OK, that's that's a step short. That's what happens at Cincinnati. That's what happens at Northwestern. That's what happens at Iowa State. That's what happens at TCU. That's what happens at, you know, Kentucky, whatever. Like you get a guy like that, it's like put him on the field. Now, they might not do that because Brian Kelly was putting the brakes on that in his opening news conference when practice started. Like, hey, 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 let's not assume things there. But I I mean, just almost across the board, unless the guy's are Orlando Pace, and maybe he is. I mean, I don't know. But like, it's hard. Like, I, I don't know that anybody, anybody trying to win a national title, I wouldn't plan on starting true freshman on the offensive line. So that's a little bit of a... I don't know what other what their other answer is there, but they have a couple moving parts on the offensive line right now with a quarterback who's more of a game manager and receivers you're not sure about. So that is a that is a tough plan of action there offensively. Well, and I'll, I'll ask you this question, right? Between the four sort of major position groups, quarterback, running back, offensive line, receiver slash tight end, right? I think that running back is probably the last position out of those four that you'd like to have experience back at. You'd probably prioritize all three of those ahead of running back. Yeah, no, I think that's right. So that, yeah, in the modern game, it's like, well, if we have a good offensive line and a quarterback who knows what he's doing, we can put a freshman that there and tell him to run to the hole. You know, right. that like that it's 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 not quite that simple. But yeah, I mean, I think they're going to have to. I mean, the teams are just going to stop the run. I mean, they're going to attack this. They're going to attack the run game and put it on Jack Cohn and, and on these tackles to protect. And that again, that's going to be a tough that's going to be a tough road for them. Um, all right. So. Th- I, by the way, we'll get into Brian Kelly if they make it a little bit more. I, I do think the Marcus Freeman hire is important. You said that he's a rising star. They battled LSU to make that hire. It feels like he's already made an impact in recruiting. And and I, Clark Lee was everybody loved him. I mean, he went to Vanderbilt. It was like all anybody could all they said was great things about this guy. And and Mike Elko at Texas AM was at Notre Dame. For, like right in the past. They they've had good defensive coordinators there. From the outside, and listen, everybody listening, you know this. I mean, it's like I know Ohio State really well because that's a team I've covered. Shahan knows everything that's happening in Texas really well. And then the rest of it is like, you know. We're not at the news conferences, but we're reading and we're watching film and we understand stuff. So we're just trying to provide context. When we're talking about a bunch of teams, we're not going to be individual experts on one team like you are if you're just listening to your only a Notre Dame podcast. From the outside, it feels like Marcus Freeman has is not is dragging them, but is a move towards the next era of Notre Dame football because it feels like they're more aggressive in recruiting. It feels like there's a, a youthful energy there. And I don't want to say that only young people can give you energy because that's not fair and that's not true. And I'm old and I don't want to be against old people. But he's given them a jolt, right? He's given them a jolt for real. And I, and I do think that matters. I just think this might be the in-between step of a year until they fully realize the fruits of that jolt. And that gets get back two years from now. Let's come back in 2023 if Marcus Freeman's still there, Brian Kelly's doing his thing. You know, they have either Tyler Buckner or Drew Pine as like a quarterback who's like a next level above maybe what they have right now. Let's talk then. And let's talk about has Notre Dame escalated into that top tier that they are right on the edge of right now. 
But every time they face a team like Bama, they show why they're not Bama. So I do think that offensive line quarterback combination is tough. I think it's tough for them. And the 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 only reason it might work out is because they they might not face a team with the overwhelming kind of talent to really make them pay for it. And maybe they'll wind up in the playoff, but it feels like, Shahan, if they did wind up in the playoff, we kind of know what that looks like given recent history. Agreed. All right. So then we say, all right, how are you feeling about your vote? We're going to get to the Texter vote. We're going to get the Shahan's vote. We're going to get to my vote. But Shahan, as you consider Notre Dame, we're not revealing the vote yet. How do you feel? Do you have high level of confidence, medium or low in what you're voting? I would say I have medium. There's a lot of factors. Again, this is a program that has been in the conversation basically every single year. But we went through, obviously, the cons of it as well. So I'm probably right there in the middle. I am low. I am low in mind because I could go either way, I think, on this. And I do think, Shahan, when I vote on this, I vote team the most, but I don't only vote team. I vote program to some degree. So if I'm voting 80% what you're about right now with your roster, basically, right? Your roster, your schedule, your your conference, not for their name, right? That's 80%. 20% I'm leaning a little bit on who you are. Have you done it before? How do you deal with expectations? Has your coach proven that he can do something like this? So I'm kind of iffy on the kind of iffy on the 80. But I, I think you have to give Notre Dame some credit on the 20. Like what Brian Kelly has done, that they have gotten there, man. It's about getting there. Give yourself a chance. You have one of you have a one in four chance. Now that's not true. As long as Bama's in, they have like half the chance all their own. <laughs> but you're in. There's only one in four. One. There's only four teams in the whole country that even get to be in, right? So that's legit. Like, don't we can't sneeze at that. And they just were in it. They just were in it. And there's a bunch of dudes on this team who just were in it. So that matters. So that twenty is affecting me. But I'm low. I I do not feel great about this vote. And so let's go to the texters first. Okay, okay. Credit to the texters. Thank you for your vote. It matters a lot. We've had multiple times on here when Shahan and I have either been split or we've been on the edge, right? Shahan, do you think the texters put Notre Dame in or not? I'm going to go with not. 52% to 48%. Notre Dame, according to the texters, is in. Wow. Is in. Okay. In. Okay. So the text the texters were out on USC, and I was also out on USC, so they were out. The texters were out on Iowa State, but you and I were both in on Iowa State, so those were the two votes that Iowa State needed. Notre Dame in for the texters, so they only need one more vote from us. What's your vote, Shahan? I am out for the wow. first for the first time. In the college football playoff show, I am telling somebody that they don't belong. And you know what? Pretty fitting that it's the giant brand of Notre Dame that I'm saying no to. Look, we we went through the arguments. We went through the discussions. I just look at the team that existed last year for Notre Dame, right? That, that got to the playoff, that beat Clemson because they were without one of the greatest quarterbacks in college football history. And that was enough to get them in. It was not enough to get them to a point where they were, I would say obviously in or truly especially deserving of of being in like a clear no-brainer case and so i look at this upcoming team 
lose Ian Book, which I, I just feel like people are overlooking that because they felt like Ian Book wasn't an elite quarterback. Well, he was better than anything they've had in a very, very long time at quarterback. They don't have the talent at receiver. They did lose some key pieces on the defensive side of the ball. We didn't really get into it very much. Losing four offensive linemen out of five. The one that's coming back is really good. But, you know, this is a program that's had offensive linemen come through. And I, I think that this is probably a transitional year. I just don't see it on offense to the point where, again, yes, they're going to get North Carolina at home, but you got to you got to outduel Sam Howell. That's not going to be a lot of fun. I, I just don't know that I see the vision for them. That is a, I am I am surprised, but I like it. I mean, I like I like I like innocent little Shahan sticking it <laughs> to the shamrock. And it's not personal, but it's just like, you know, it's legit. It's legit that. They have some questions. They have some questions. So you you bought into my argument a little bit. I will say I bought into your argument a little bit from the perspective of at Florida State, Toledo, Purdue, Wisconsin and Chicago, Cincinnati, at Virginia Tech, USC, North Carolina, Navy, at Virginia, Georgia Tech, at Stanford. It just might be because the question I, I, there's two different questions here. There's a question of like, are they a playoff caliber team? And there's the question of, might they make the playoff? <laughs> and those are not the same thing. Right. So I think from the talent perspective, what we talked about, they need like another bit, another little bit of an injection. 2018 class, they were number 10 in the country. 2019 class, and that's it. you go on that third year class. So those are the two biggest classes, the fourth year guys and the third year guys. 2019 class number 15 in the in the country. Kyle Hamilton's a top 100 guy there. They just need a few more top 100 guys doing some stuff. But I think they might be able to fake it to make it for a while. And we are going to find out. And I don't think that's fair to just be like, oh, we'll let them in until they lose. Because that's not really what it's about. But we are going to find out week four, Wisconsin, week five, Cincinnati. Right. And though uh, Wisconsin and Cincinnati are both teams that I think are on the right on this sort of level of the discussion of of are they in or not? And Notre Dame's going to face them in back to back weeks. So it's like, oh, they're not playing Georgia. It's like, well, they're, those are probably like top 15 teams and they're playing them in consecutive weeks. So I'm putting them in. Wow. How about that? I am putting them in with a very hesitant 80%, and I'm giving them credit for the 20%. These guys have been there. They've been in these games. I don't, I am not a Jack Cohn fan. Again, perhaps in my past, I may have called Wisconsin quarterbacks noodle arms. I might have done it. It's nothing personal. It's just, he's just not Bryce Young. He's not DJ Oungalele. He's not Spencer Rattler. But I think they might be able to patch it together. And then Marcus Freeman, he's not magic, but it's a it's an injection of something, right? That I think there could be a mix here of like, listen, they're in some ways when you talk about Notre Dame, they're kind of like Michigan, except they're like Michigan if they won big games. You know, that it's like Michigan would kill to be Notre Dame right now. Two playoff appearances in the seven-year history? Are you kidding me? Like Notre Dame has done some things. So I think as Brian Kelly says, and he's, he, he's, this is his thing. They're good. They want to be great. They were forced to make the change because Clark Lee left, but they're good. They lost talent off the good, but like they reached for something more in the pursuit of great. 
So I'm because you can see how they're trying to pursue the great. They have a patch it year quarterback, right? They're trying to get great at quarterback. Listen, Tyler Buckner's a top 100 national recruiter. He's a true freshman. He's not going to play this year. Like they're trying. They're getting there. I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. And if they hadn't been in the playoff last year, I might not. Well, let, let me be very clear. Let me be very clear about what you just did. You saw a noodle arm quarterback and he put on the shiny gold and you're like, oh, he must be good now. Right. Oh, that that must no, be. No, it. no, 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 no. I do not think he's going to be good. I think they can win despite him. And listen, he's going to be surrounded by more talent at Notre Dame than he was at Wisconsin. Now you get Jonathan Taylor, at Wisconsin. Right. So that's they don't. Have, but Notre Dame still is a step above in recruiting above a team like Wisconsin. So he's going to have a couple more things. If they can get one receiver to pop, whether it's Kevin Austin or, or somebody else to pop a little bit, they do have the tight end. They do have the running backs. I mean, maybe the true freshman top 100 guys, a good left tackle. Like I can see the answers to their questions, right? And, and, and the answers to their questions to me don't, what are the answers to the questions? Like, okay, well, the top 100 left tackle is ready to go. All right. Well, like the guy who, who they thought could be like a really good receiver gets healthy and gets on the field and does some stuff. All right. The game manager quarterback manages and the running backs are really, really good. And they have some, you know, they have one of the best defensive players in the country and they have a really good play caller who everybody agrees is one of the best defensive coordinators in the country. And he brings in something new and he figures out a lot of stuff with some decent talent, right? I can see the answers. So I will, sometimes I think when we do this pod, Shahan, we're going to ask for more proof before we let you in. And sometimes we'll say, we'll let you in, but we are ready to kick you out. And so I'm letting them in very ready to kick them out because if they don't beat Wisconsin in week four, like we're going to kick them out, but I'll let them in for now. I'll let them in for now. So that's me barely in textures, barely in. And you are pretty comfortably out. You're comfortably out. Comfortably out. And I, I will say, I do agree. They have their solutions. They have their answers coming down the pipe. They're on the way. You can see it. It's in the class of 2022. So once they get here, I think we can change this conversation a bit. In comparison to the team in USC that you said in and the texters and I said out, I don't have the faith in Clay Helton based on what he's done in the past to give that program the benefit of the doubt right now, even though their quarterback's much better, right? And even though their best receiver is much better than Notre Dame's best receiver, they still have enough questions that it's like, well, why would I think USC is going to figure it out? What is the proof, right? And then, by the way, are they better than Oregon? And this is also a thing. Not being at a conference helps Notre Dame right now. If they're in the ACC and it's like, well, they, what are they going to do? Win the ACC? It's like, no, they're not going to win the ACC. Well, then how are they getting in? They're not getting in. So that helps them here. Whereas if I don't believe in USC, it's like, well, I don't think they're going to beat either Oregon or Washington in the Pac-12 championship game. So like, what are we doing? Like, and I, what are they going to prove to me before that? So this is a, a thing where I think there's a back door. The back door is barely open, but they might be able to slip in because they kind of have a kind of an opening there that most of the programs don't have. Good discussion. I, I like I like Khan Shahan. <laughs> Just bring up the, those blue bloods and I'm ready to, to punch them in the face. Don't you worry about that. I'm not sure what I think of like a lenient Doug. Lenient. Hey, just give him a chance, Doug. Not real comfortable <laughs> those, with that. Those Doug. little plucky kids from South Bend. Come on. Give him a chance, man. Come on. <laughs> 
We need another blue blood. Who's a blue blood that we can get in and we can just both pound on them? <laughs> Should Florida State? Should Florida State be in we the can playoffs? Bring up Texas. We <laughs> We should do it just bring, for the exercise, just for the headline. Can you stir up some listeners for us in Texas if we do a whole Texas pod? I'll get some tweets. I know that. All right. So Notre Dame is in by the skin of their teeth. They will join the playoff contender list, which is now swelled to eight. And after we come back from the break, we will rank those eight contenders on who has the best head coach next on the college football playoff show. Doug and Shahan, full of surprises. Ah, I like when we surprise ourselves and the listeners. All right, so we're doing head coaches. Nick Saban just got a gazillion dollars. He's going to be making over $10 million a year soon, and he's underpaid, right? I mean, like, if we just, if it was just like, just like wide open market, like, not about comparisons, like, okay, well, if he's this much better than the next best guy, and like, this guy makes $7 million, and Nick Saban's five times better at his job, then he should make $35 million. So like, whatever it is, I mean, he's a bargain. One thing that I did, Shahan, for this list is I compared every head coach, their winning percentage over their number of years at the school compared to the winning percentage of the same number of years before they got there. So for Nick Saban, you know, he's been there 14 years. I did the 14 years previous. You know, Ryan Day's been at Ohio State for two years. I did the two years previous. So that's something I'm going to add here. And then as we sort of frame this discussion, we're doing one ranking of these eight head coaches. When I asked the texters, I asked them two separate questions. And I just want you to read, Jahan, on how you framed this as you thought about it. I asked, rank these coaches in the order you would want them if they were coaching for just this season. And then I said, rank these coaches in the order you would want them if you were hiring a coach for a good football program trying to be great and you were making a long-term hire. So that is not only an age question, but it's hard because I think sometimes when we ask about a coach for just one year, like people just wipe away recruiting and it's like recruiting is actually the number one job for a coach. And so you can't just show up and coach the guys that are there because you're still recruiting for the next class in the one year that you're there. But I think our answers, Shahan, are some mix of those two things. But how did you look at it? Which one matters more to you when you're making a list like this? Well, I do want to first say this was at the bottom so hard, just yes. so ridiculously hard because the, the guy who's in eighth and the guy who's in seventh on my list easily. I mean, this, this might be dang close to the top eight coaches overall in college football, right? Like that's that's where we're at. And and I will tell you the other thing, too. Uh, one of the reasons that I was uh, hoping that that Notre Dame might not get voted in is because Brian Kelly is very hard to place, to be quite honest. But the thing that I'll say, I, I the way that I looked at this conversation was which of these coaches has gone into their program and relative to that program, taken them to somewhere new, taken mm-hmm. them to another level, who's elevated them. I think track record plays a, a part in that. I think that, again, like you mentioned, looking at the previous era of success played in a big part of uh, played a big part of that. Uh, certainly, getting to the highest levels of college football, I think that plays a part in that. So, playoff appearances matter to me. National title game appearances, uh, you know, national titles, it certainly matter to me. And so, it was a combination of all of those things. But I think that relative to other people, looking at the recent history of the program versus where you took them, I think also played a big part for me. 
I completely agree with that. But I also I think if you're not careful, you can fall into a trap. And and I know that you're aware of this, and I'm sure you took into account, but it's like, does Brian Kelly get bonus points because he took over for Charlie Weiss and Charlie Weiss sucks? And Ryan Day gets dinged because he took over for Urban Meyer and Urban Meyer's good. Or Lincoln Riley gets dinged because he took over for Bob Stoops and Bob Stoops was good. If you're taking over for somebody who got fired, it's easier to to get credit for flipping it as opposed to if you're sort of continuing something because a coach left for other reasons. And then it's like, well, how good are you really? But But like, I think what we've seen over time is that Basically, every program is a bad hire away from falling off a cliff because yeah. we've seen it happen to everybody. We've seen it happen to Texas. We've seen it happen to Alabama. We've seen it happen to Michigan. We've seen it happen to USC. Like we've seen it almost Florida State, almost literally, almost literally every single major program, no matter how big your recruiting base is, no matter how good your facilities are, if you hire the wrong guy, you're going to you're going to be average in three years. So I think that does matter even for the guys who are kind of like continuing something. Yeah. And I do think that I will say I looked more at the last 10 to 15 years than the last hire necessarily. Right. To try to insulate myself from that. Right. Because because when Nick Saban took over at Alabama, it wasn't just while they made one bad hire. It was 15, 20 years of incompetence. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to ding like you mentioned Notre Dame for making an exceptionally bad hire and then going off of that. But I do think that when you look at the last 10, 15, 20 years, you know, I think that you compare it to that. All right. The Notre Dame discussion is fascinating. And we if we're not careful, we're going to talk about Brian Kelly. Yep. For 20 minutes. Yep. So let's try to be careful. Who do you have? Eight? <sighs> Who is last on your list? And again, this is last on a list of great coaches. I think. We have the same guy because I think. Eighth is moderately clear. Really? Okay, well, we'll see about that. My eighth is Ryan Day. Okay, that's not what I have. That's not what I have. Okay. So my argument for Ryan Day is that he just, it's not that he's done anything wrong, but it's that when you compare him to the other guys on this list, I see a much shorter track record, right? You have two years to work with, and he did take over for one of the, you know, 10 greatest coaches in the history of the sport. So my question is with Ryan Day, it isn't, is he going to keep this going? I, I feel like he is, but he hasn't done it as yet. I, I have that question about him. I mean, it goes back to what we always talk about, our eternal uh, discussion, right? Everything comes back to one thing. Who, who are the guys who have proven it versus who are the guys that we think will prove it? And so that's the thing that I knock Ryan Day for is that I I see the vision of what he's going to do. But I mean, Look, he he's coached two years and those two years were with one of, if not the best quarterback in Ohio State history. Now he played a big part in that, but I need to see him do it with things that are past what Urban Meyer brought in. I need to see, see him do it consistently. on, and, and I mean, I think part of that, too, is on both sides of the ball, right? We, we ding Lincoln Riley all the time for the defenses being kind of not great. Well, I mean, I, I think that Ohio State the last two years, that that's kind of slid, right? He's been really good at his one side of the ball. He's done a good job of recruiting. And eventually, I do trust he will get to that point. I just think that we've seen it with the other guys. So I'm going to warn our large and growing national audience right now. Listen, I've covered Ohio State football for a long time. The initial people who are tech subscribing, there's a lot of Ohio people in here. Mm -hmm. So 
You are not getting an honest read on, on Ryan Day from our tech subscribers because our tech subscribers have Ryan Day second behind <laughs> Nick Saban if you were coaching for just this season. Come on. And they have Ryan Day runaway number one if you were hiring long term. Oh, come on. Runaway. Also, also, the people who are listening to this because they know me from covering Ohio State, they also, all of them think Dabo Sweeney is a weasel. So, like, they are not voting. They I'll are take a two-time break- weasel, man. I'll take a two-time I weasel. Know. So I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, but that's the thing, too. It's the hard thing about a national show. It's like everybody has their ingrained thing, and then it's like, now please give an honest assessment of your beloved coach against a bunch of dudes that you hate to varying degrees. But please, again, no bias, honest football opinions. So it's like, we get it. I get it. I don't have Ryan Day eighth. Yeah. I'll wait to tell you where I have Ryan Day. Yeah. Ryan Day, the recruiting's actually gotten a little better under Ryan Day than under Urban. Now, part of that, Urban left the entire recruiting structure in place, including yeah. one of the best recruiting coordinators in college football, Mark Pantone. Ryan Day went and got Justin Fields. Urban Meyer didn't go get Justin Fields. Like Ryan Day was like, our quarterbacks aren't good enough. Go get them. Ryan Day changed the quarterback coaching at Ohio State when he was the offensive coordinator for two years. This whole thing where they are now like, getting quarterback recruits on the same level as Lincoln Riley and then developing them, trying to develop them. Quinn Ewers is going to Ohio State because Ryan Day is the head coach. Quinn Ewers would not probably have been there. If if Urban Meyer was at Ohio State and Ryan Day was not, Quinn Ewers wouldn't go to Ohio State. So the recruiting, the fact that he has not only continued the recruiting but raised it matters also, hasn't lost a regular season game. Now, he's in the Big Ten. That matters. Has not lost a regular season game. And... Lost to Clemson with Trevor Lawrence in a semifinal when they frankly should have won and then got rolled by like the Bama offensive machine that was like the best offense Nick Saban's ever coached. So I do think, and and the previous two years, in my little comparison, like the previous two years, Ohio State didn't make the playoff. They didn't make the playoff in 17 and 18. They made it 19 and 20. So like he is, he has a winning percentage of uh, 9.09. The winning percentage of two previous years was 893. So because he's lost two playoff games and they lost three games total. So he's only gone up 0.016. But I do think he's done enough to show that he's doing more than just continuing what Urban established. But I get it. I get it. Like, I'm not I'm not telling you you're wrong because it's just more about, I think, how much you're taking experience and program building into account. But. I also think sometimes I'll be curious to see where you have Matt Campbell. Matt Campbell and Ryan Day is a very interesting thing because like I think they're similar dudes in some ways, right? Around the same age. I think like if Ryan Day, I think if Ohio State had not hired Ryan Day, they would have hired Matt Campbell. Right. And so it's it's all very interesting. Ryan Day is very hard to evaluate on things like this. And Ohio State fans have been very angry at like off-season coaching lists when they don't rank Ryan Day high enough. And it's like, he hasn't lost a regular season game. What do you want? It's like, well, we kind of just want to see it more, right? Yeah. So, so, I, so I get that. I also did. I did not think you would have him eight, though. Yeah. Because I thought I had the guy eighth that that gave Ryan Day Justin Fields. So I have Kirby <laughs> Smart eighth. Yeah. And if he had not given Justin Fields to Ryan Day, he wouldn't be eighth on my list because he would have made the playoff one of the last two years. Kirby Smart, his winning percentage is 788 in his five years at Georgia. The previous five years, 
the winning percentage with Mark Richt was 746. So he's gone up 0.042%. That was not as much as I thought it was. Because so I, I previous... Say, go ahead. I, but now I some of say, those losses are like in SEC championship games and stuff. But go yeah, ahead. The bigger thing, they went 7-6, and six, I believe, his first year. Like... That's out true. of all the losses that he has in the history of his program, right? Like that's that's how much you're talking, right? Or sorry, eight and five was the number that he went, and he has not lost more than three games since it. He's gone two, two, three, two, right? So like that skews the number a whole lot. That he kind of did come in and build something completely new. Agreed, agreed. And they have improved the recruiting, right? Mark Richt was letting too many good players out of Georgia. Kirby Smart has fixed that in a lot of ways. Um, the previous five years under Mark Richt, they finished in the top three, or finished in the top 25 of the AP poll three times in five years. They finished 19th, 5th, and 9th. And in Kirby Smart's five years, they finished in the top 25, four to five years, everything other than the first year. And they were second, seventh, fourth, and seventh. So, you know, they've been a consistent top five type of team right on the edge of this. In the SEC, and again, I, 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 you make the point. It's hard. It's like, what? where do you draw lines? What numbers do you count? Do you not count? Again, Saban had a rough first year, too, at Bama. It's like a transitional year, and then away you go. Uh, SEC record, Kirby Smart, 32-9. and nine. The previous five years, 30-10. and 10. So, it's good. It's very good. But also, like, Georgia should be good. And he's made the playoff once in five years. And I know that being in the same conference with Bama and Bama screws everything up because if Georgia was in the ACC or the big 10, they probably would have made the playoff more times. But I also feel like they're not quite as good as you think they are at first blush. And they probably should be awesome. And they're only very good. And He's gotten the recruiting in order, but I think lots, not lots. I think there are other coaches that could see to succeed at Georgia because Georgia's got a lot going for it, mainly all the players who play high school football in Georgia. So he was kind of clearly eighth to me in a world where like, oh, Kirby Smart, he's the 10th best coach in college football, and he's eighth on our list. I do think that one thing that impacts probably the way that each of us see this is you mentioned, oh, well, Georgia should be good. They've got one title in the history of their program, right? We've been saying forever, well, Georgia should be good. Well, obviously, this is that type of program, but they've never, ever been that type of program at any point. And so as opposed to Ohio State, that I think you could make the argument is the singular best job in America. I, I think that you could very easily make that argument because of, the, like you mentioned, the infrastructure they have in place, uh, not having really any competition. Sorry, Michigan, in that whole region, right? Getting to kind mm -hmm. of dominate... Mm -hmm. Uh, a conference that you do. And here's one question that I'll ask. And, and I'll ask you as, as the Ohio state big 10 guy, if the university of Georgia played in the big 10 East and Ohio state played in the sec, I mean, does the converse, how likely is it that those situations are flipped? Uh, like very possible for sure. For sure. Um, it, it's hard because then like, if you put Ohio state in the South, well then maybe Ohio state, would recruit even better because they wouldn't have and be trying to get kids from the South to go to Ohio for college. Like it's, it's hard because 
there are advantages and disadvantages to both, right? Ohio State's kind of like the one team in the North that competes on this level, so they kind of have it to themselves, but there are also challenges to having to go recruit nationally because where Georgia could put a team together with dudes within 200 miles of Athens and like they could compete for a national title probably. So I, I know what you're saying. And, I, and, and actually, you are good at calling me on this because the thing you just said about Georgia is the thing you keep saying about Texas, which is like somebody like me is like, oh, they're always good. And you're like, are they? Yeah, I, and it's like you're you're right, but in the modern day, I don't know. Maybe Georgia's been so it's like Georgia's underachieved for fifty years. I don't know. Is that is that the right but, way to look at that? But but that's the question, right? If somebody if somebody hypothetically has the potential to run a nine second hundred and they're running fifteen seconds, like at what point do we say, oh wait, maybe we're looking at them wrong? Maybe maybe this isn't actually real. Right. And so a big part of this is, yes, Georgia has so much talent. They have all the talent in the world. But there, there's a reason that they haven't recruited all these kids who are within 200 miles of Georgia. And it's because you have every other program in America also in your backyard. Right. Like that's it's easy to say, well, why don't you just lock down Georgia? Why don't you just try that? Like. People have tried for years and years and years, and Mark Rick tried to do it, and he failed at it, and a lot of coaches before him tried it, and they failed at it, and Kirby Smart came in and did it within his first five years, right? And yes, you are using the advantages that you have at the University of Georgia, and I get that. And and I do think, certainly, that uh, that there are clear shortcomings on Kirby Smart's behalf that, that I think that he has to answer for, right? That Ryan Day, at this point, doesn't have to answer for. Offensively, Georgia has not been the team that we need them to be. I think that's changing. I think they made a very innovative hire that showed some dividends last year once they got a competent quarterback in there. But I think that it, I think for me, the difference between us is I think that where Georgia started versus where Ohio State started, I think that they're probably just vastly different levels in my mind versus I think that you probably see them as more comparable. Kirby Smart seventh in both votes for the texters, both in one season and if you were building a program. All right, so who's your seven, Shahan? So my seven is Kirby Smart, just to be clear. Okay, it's like, Doug, you are being far too harsh on Kirby Smart. <laughs> he is not eighth, yeah. he is seventh. Okay. Right, right. So that, that's why I thought we would both have Kirby Smart right. at the bottom, because I, like, I, I think all the things you said are true, but I also think most of the things that I said are true, which actually is the tagline for this podcast. <laughs> Everything Shahan says is true. And most of the things that Doug says are true. Yeah. I mean, but uh, at this top level, it's just it's rough. Right. right. When you're comparing these guys. I mentioned it. I think that there is a very legitimate argument that these are the top eight overall coaches in college football. I know that there's one that probably is not on the list that I'm forgetting about. But, uh, you know, I mean, th that's how good these are. This is this is us saying, hey, all these coaches are probably at worst top 10 coaches. So when we're yeah. parsing these details, being seventh out of eight on a list of coaches who might be the best coaches in the sport, all of whom will probably at some point end up in the College Football Hall of Fame. It it's really not that bad a place to be. But for, for Kirby Smart, I mean, we <laughs> I did have that conversation. He is the one coach who has shown. I don't want to, the other coach have shown it too, but I, I think that he's had the most consistent weakness. Now, again, I, I think that we do have to emphasize in three of the last six years of the Mark Richt era, they finished the year unranked, right? It's, right. That That's significant to me. Part of it is because the SEC changed. And so like 
it's gotten harder. And so I think that while the record is comparable, I do think that what Kirby Smart has done record-wise is more impressive over that stretch. You have four top seven finishes in the last four years. Like, this is a team every single year. We talked about it on last week's show, has been right in the playoff discussion. They have the great misfortune of playing in the same conference as Alabama one time who they beat in the SEC championship game. And I do think like Mark Richt for a period of time was dealing with like Urban Meyer in his own division in the SEC, which Kirby Smart never had to do. That's the thing with all this stuff. Like somebody's up, somebody's down. Like Matt Campbell's in this discussion. It's like, all right, well, if Matt Campbell was dealing with like Mac Brown, Texas, would Matt Campbell be as good as he is? If you know what I mean? Like it's just guys, people fill gaps when there's openings. All right. So you have Ryan Day eight, Kirby Smart seven. I have Kirby Smart, eight. I have Brian Kelly, seven. And this is the ultimate question that I have had this discussion many times. I have no idea how good Notre Dame is supposed to be because of all the things like where I say like, well, of course, Texas and Georgia, they are powerhouse programs. And you say, are they? I don't I don't know how good Brian Kelly is supposed to be because on one hand, Part of me thinks that as good as Brian Kelly has been, Notre Dame should be better. And then I look at Charlie Weiss, Tyrone Willingham, Bob Davey, and I'm like, are they? Should they be? Are you kidding me? He is a huge upgrade over anybody since Lou Holtz. And then it's like, all right, well, then Lou Holtz. And then he start going back and it's like, well, I mean, is he are we holding him back because he's not Era Parsegian? Are we holding him back because he's not Frank Leahy? Are we holding him back because he's not Newt Rockney? And by the way, he is going to pass Newt Rockney this year for the most wins in Notre Dame history. So I started out thinking that I might have Brian Kelly eighth. Brian Kelly, his winning percentage in 12 years at Notre Dame is 723. The 12 years previous to him, the winning percentage was 575. So that is a jump of 0.148. That's the fourth best jump of the eight coaches on our list. I I think I was overestimating what Notre Dame is supposed to be, but yet there is a nagging part of me, Shahan, that says like, why is Notre Dame not in the top five in recruiting every year? Like, why do they get the 10th best class, the 15th best class? And again, they're getting on it in 2022. So I feel kind of bad putting Brian Kelly seventh on my list, but yet I can't escape the idea that I don't think This is peak Notre Dame, although I might be wrong. Well, I think that's a fair question. And I will say for me growing up as, you know, when when I did in the era that I did, I knew that Notre Dame was supposed to be a big deal because, you know, they had the movie with Rudy lining up offsides and all that. But like, you know, it didn't necessarily mean anything to me, the Notre Dame brand. Right. Like, I think that it means something to people who were around for the great teams of before. And I don't remember that. And I'm a decade older than most recruits, right? That, that's, I think, a big part of it where, you know, with when you're at Notre Dame, you have to recruit nationally. You're not recruiting just in your backyard. And we talked about it with Ohio State. They've got that infrastructure that's been built up over the last decade, at least, and really it's never gone away, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of something that Ohio State's always had. And Notre Dame, I don't think, has had that in a very long time since, like you mentioned, since the days of basically Lou Holtz. And so I have Brian Kelly fifth on my list, so and okay. I mentioned he was one of the hardest ones for me to evaluate because he's had lows that nobody else has had. I, I think that 
nobody on this list other than Matt Campbell, who we'll get to, who was in a very different situation, has a four and eight, right? Like that just does right. not happen with these coaches. And I think because of that, and I think because, you know, his teams that have been extremely good, that were 12 and 0 and, you know, 11 and 1 and all this sort of stuff, because they were not national title caliber, I think that we do forget what he's done and the consistency that he's brought to that program. I can't put him in the super elite conversation necessarily because of that, because he does have same sort of deal, right? He does have clear limitations or has had limitations at Notre Dame. But I do look again at the last 20 years and I do see a guy who has elevated that program and has changed the complexion of that program. And I think that, yeah, you, you look at next year's class, they've got the number two recruiting class in the country right now. It's early. They have more kids committed yep. than most people. But if they can be top 10 consistently, never be outside that top 10, uh, you know, who knows? They, maybe he has another gear left in him. I do think the fact that there's a, there's, a, there's a big important area where they can improve this much to say, hey, they're really getting better is sort of a nod of like, because they're not good enough at the moment, which sure. is why we have them where we have them on the list. I will say Brian Kelly, uh, again, winning percentage in 12 years at Notre Dame of 723. He's 102 and 39. Lou Holtz in 11 years at Notre Dame, winning percentage of 765. 132. Not that different. And like Lou Holtz is like, yeah. you know, was rolling yeah. in the 80s at Notre Dame. And again, I didn't go into the 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 litany of, it's, we're not here to compare Newt Rockney. Newt Rockney, in comparison, I just said, don't compare him, but I'm going to. Uh, 105, 12, and 5. So, Seems uh, good. 881. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah, pretty good. Newt Rockney. Is Newt Rockney better than Nat, Matt Campbell? We'll wow. do that next on the College Football. Matt Campbell. No, I'm just kidding. All right. So you told us Kelly was 5. I have Kelly 7. So let's do both of our 6s. I have Jimbo Fisher 6. Okay. I have Matt Campbell 6. Okay. Let me make my Jimbo case first. Okay. Texas A&M 605 winning percentage in the five years before Jimbo. I'm not in the three years before Jimbo 605. He's at 722. That's an improvement of 0.117. Like very good. Texas A&M kind of has more going for it than Iowa State does. This is like, I think Fisher Campbell is a, like a, in not a direct comparison, but on a list like this was kind of a direct comparison. I just think what Campbell has done something with nothing, which is like, which is hard to compare. And this is with, with nothing, nothing. And Texas A&M has challenges, but they had, again, now I'm getting into the, what you had to work with conversation. I think if you drop Matt Campbell into Texas, Florida state, USC, Auburn, Michigan, Penn state, whatever, right? I think he'd win. Like, I think, so if I was, and again, like if I was hiring somebody, I think for one year, and, and this is not a knock on Jimbo, I'll get to you. I have Fisher six and Campbell five. So I have them stacked. Do you, you have Campbell five? No, you have Campbell six, Kelly five. Where do you have Jimbo? I have him fourth. Okay. So you have Campbell and Fisher within range of each other. Yes. There's a Jimbo- Kelly Campbell kind of tough thing to sort out here. Um, why did you end? I had Jimbo sixth. Why did you end up putting Jimbo fourth? So I do think that the one thing that I'll say about Campbell, I'm, I'm one of the biggest Matt Campbell fans in the world. I, I do think at the same time, 
at this moment, he is still a coach that has not reached that top level. He is, I believe, the only coach on this list that has not won a conference championship. He is the only coach, well, I mean, other than Brian Kelly at Notre Dame, but, uh, you know, who has not made a college football playoff as well. So this is still at this moment, at, this could change by next year. But at this moment, I think that this is still in the range of being still a really, really nice story. But I do think that getting to that top level, getting to that over the hump level, that that matters to me to some extent. And it's again, it's funny that it's me being the one saying it. But I do think that that sort of thing matters uh, when I am comparing those guys. And Brian Kelly, I think, has raised his program to that level for stretches, not national championship level, but definitely good enough to win a conference championship, definitely good enough to make a college football playoff. And Jimbo Fisher for the struggles, the real struggles that he had at the end of his tenure at Florida State. He has taken two programs. Uh, you know, Florida State was still in a good plot, a good place, but certainly not a great one at the end of the Bobby Bowden era, just because Bobby Bowden was getting up there in age. Uh, it took a couple years and he got them to not just championship level, but like all-time championship level, where all 22 starters are playing in the NFL. And I was worried that he was washed by the end of that Florida State tenure, but he goes to Texas A&M, and we can have the conversation about whether A&M is a true, 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 you know, will-make-the-playoff-type team, but he has raised that program to a level that they really haven't ever seen in terms of being a number-five team in the country. I mean, it's been basically since the 1930s that they've done that. So, I look at the fact that, yes, he's won a national championship. That does matter to me. But more than that, he's taken two programs to the precipice of being championship level. And that level of track record, again, we're going to keep coming back to that word with me. But that level of track record, I think, gave me a little bit more faith in Jimbo over both Kelly and Campbell. Matt Campbell, 563 winning percentage at Iowa State in uh, five years. The five years previous winning percentage, 323. Yeah. So Matt Campbell is 36 and 28. They were 20 and 42 the previous five years. Iowa State has a winning record in the Big 12 for four straight years. They had a winning record in their conference in four of the previous 40 years. So, like, he is making magic in Ames. <laughs> he is making magic. I don't know how he's doing it and the minute now i don't know what he's gonna do i think he may only leave ames and he's turned down nfl jobs i think he may only leave for the ohio state job if ryan day goes to the nfl i think he would be next ohio roots i think he would be next or the nfl i'm not sure he's gonna go i've always thought that he's the he's harbaugh's successor i thought i think he would that would put ohio state on alert but i don't know if he's gonna do that um, so he might he might be Ohio State or the NFL. So we may, we may never see him make that next step, right? Of to what would he do where he actually has a chance to win a national title? Um, and so that's why I'm just giving Campbell that nod because I I don't I, I don't understand how he's doing it. Yeah. Other than that, he's filling a vacuum. He's filling the hole of a conference where Oklahoma is so clearly better than everybody else, and the team that should be the second best team is a mess, and there's nobody else. And maybe that's all it is. Somebody has to be the second best team in the Big 12. And, and maybe that's a big or bigger chunk of this than I'm getting credit, credit, credit for. But I have Campbell fifth. Well, I will say, I mean, it has been literally 109 years since Iowa State has won a conference championship. If the Big 12 didn't go to a conference championship game structure, if they stayed with the regular season champion, 
they would have won one for the first time in 108 years, right? And so this is, yes, there is some level of this being, uh, you know, success in a vacuum. But at the same time, they went and won the Fiesta Bowl. They beat Oregon. They have beaten these top-level teams as well. This isn't just them never playing anybody good. I mean, they've beaten top 25 teams before. They beat Oklahoma, a really, really good Oklahoma team in Norman back in, I believe, 2016. I mean, this is this is track record. This is year-after-year consistency. And, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think anybody would make the argument that Iowa State last year could have beaten Alabama. I don't think that anybody will really make the argument this year that Iowa State's going to win a national title. But, I mean... For people who don't understand, I mean, for me growing up in the Big 12, Iowa State was Kansas. I mean, they that's that's what they were, right? They yeah. were nobody. They were a win on your schedule. And if you lost that game, it meant that your program was in a really bad spot. So for them, even if it's the vacuum thing, I, I think that that is just such a testament to him that they're even able to rise up in that vacuum. But again, it was that top level for me. I, I and, and also for Jimbo Fisher, seeing it at multiple places. All right, so I'm going to assume that we have the same two guys in the top. Well, maybe I shouldn't assume it. Let's have the Ryan Day-Lincoln-Riley discussion here. Because I have Lincoln-Riley fourth, and I have Ryan Day third. Okay. Where do you have Lincoln-Riley? I have Lincoln-Riley third. Okay. What? So Lincoln-Riley has been at Oklahoma for four years. Ryan Day has been at Ohio State for two. When Ohio State chose to hire Ryan Day... Their athletic director, Gene Day, made the Lincoln-Riley comparison a gazillion times. He talked to Joe Castiglione, the Oklahoma AD, about it. Riley taking over for Stoops, Day taking over for Urban Meyer. A a million similarities. Lincoln-Riley's been there two more years. Lincoln-Riley, 849 winning percentage compared in his four years compared to 788 the previous four. So he's a a .061 improvement. Ryan Day's a a .0. 0.016 0.016 improvement. So a little more. Oklahoma, you know, was not quite at the same level that Urban Meyer, Ohio State was at. I have, I, I'll, I'll, I could be swayed either way on Lincoln Riley and Ryan Day, except I haven't seen Oklahoma beat Clemson in a playoff game and get to a national title game, right? I w- Why is your gap between Lincoln Riley and Ryan Day so big? from third to eighth when I would say the only difference is Lincoln Riley's done it for two more years. Is, is there, is there something else that contributes to your gap? Well, I think the, the doing it for two more years is a big deal for me. I do think the other thing that you point to with Lincoln Riley is that Bob Stoops program back in 2014 was kind of on life supports. And when Lincoln Riley came in as offensive coordinator, they, I mean, they haven't, other than this past year where obviously they only played 10 regular season games, they haven't been under 11 wins since then. And I know it's easy to kind of point out, well, okay, they just keep you know winning the Big 12 in, a, in an era where the Big 12 hasn't been necessarily the best. Well, that's not a new era necessarily. And Bob Stoops was not doing that, like not even particularly close to that. Uh, they've won, I believe at this point, it's six straight Big 12 championships, which dates back to when Lincoln Riley was hired as offensive coordinator. 2014, they didn't win it. 2014. 13, they weren't especially close to winning it. 2012, they were in a split situation. Like, they haven't been a dominant program to that level in the Big 12 for, you know, over the first half of that decade. Since Lincoln Riley's taken over, he has raised the level of that program, in my opinion, to a level that they were not at before, where they are putting teams away, where it is a foregone conclusion that they are going to win. Now, 
yes, he also hasn't gotten to that championship level. He hasn't gotten to the level where you win a playoff game. That hasn't happened as yet. Uh, I do think that with the Alex Grinch hire, he's done a good job of addressing that. I think that he made a very good hire. I think that they've recruited at a much higher level on that side of the ball. Like we mentioned it last week, Oklahoma's defense is going to be a plus for this team for the first time since who knows how long. And you actually look at those defensive issues too. Those are issues that he inherited more from Bob Stoops with Mike Stoops still being on staff, right? So I think that he's both had the longer track record when he came in as offensive coordinator and then later as head coach, I think that he raised the level of the program versus what it was before that. Now, not to the level of what it was in the early 2000s necessarily, but I mean, that's how long you have to kind of think about this before you're kind of talking about that level. And uh, and I think the fact that we're here right now having this conversation about Oklahoma year in, year out being one of those four teams that's kind of just uh, grandfathered into our playoff conversation I think that's a testament to how good Lincoln Riley has been. I, in terms of breathing life into a program, I would present Ohio State getting shut out by Clemson 31-0 in the playoff and me standing in the locker room after that loss and basically asking the quarterback's coach and co-offensive coordinator like when he's going to get fired. And us standing, I remember standing on the field after that game and being like, Chip Kelly had just gotten fired in San Francisco. And we were like, well, Urban Meyer and Chip Kelly are friends, but they cannot bring this offensive staff back. Maybe he can hire Chip Kelly to be the offensive coordinator. And instead, Urban Meyer hired Chip Kelly's protege, Ryan Day. And Ryan Day came and breathed life into a stagnant passing offense and took them to another level. Now, they were still, Ohio State was at a higher level than Oklahoma was. So I think it's not as apparent, but... To a similar degree, I think you could argue that Ryan Day sort of reinvigorated the Ohio State offense the same way Lincoln Riley reinvigorated the Oklahoma offense. And he clearly took he's he's taken Ohio State's offense into the modern era. Urban wanted to run the quarterback. Ryan Day is producing first round quarterbacks. They're going to have Justin Fields type quarterbacks, just like we know what Lincoln Riley is going to do whether it's Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray or Jalen Hurts or Spencer Rattler. That's just what the Caleb Williams is going to be next. That's just what Oklahoma is going to do. I think they're very close. Again, I think the distinction between two years and four years is like, do you think Ryan Day is going to go seven and five each of the next two years? Like, you know, like they're, they're good again. They're supposed to, you know, and they're good. So, um, the debate between Riley and Day, I think, is interesting. And then where Ohio State and Oklahoma were before they got there, I think, is interesting. I just would think that they should be closer. I like think that's my main point. I think they should be closer on a list like this. I think that's fair. But I, I do think at the same time, you're talking about twice the career, right? I mean, I don't expect that Ryan Day, like I mentioned, is going to fall off a cliff by any means. But we got to see. Is he? are we just to expect that he's going to be playing in the national title game every other year, right? That's, that's a huge assumption. Right. I, I think that that's an unfair assumption to make of, of any program, much less, you know, Ohio state who's, you know, that they haven't, that's not a fair expectation, I don't think. And so I just want to see it. I want to see, okay, what is Ryan days in his next two years and the two years after that and the two years after that, I expect he's going to be around for a long time. I want to see sort of what's the hallmark, what, when he comes in and he has his, you know, he has his thing, right? And he's he's taken the passing game into the 21st century. Well, what happens when people catch up to that, right? What's his next move? What's the next move after that? I know it's coming. I just want to see it first. And 
I do think that, I mean, yeah, I know it's it's four years, right, versus two years, but four years in the in the lifespan of a coach is a really long time. I mean, that at two years into the Kirby Smart era, right, like they played in the national title game. We would have had this guy maybe two or three or well, I guess more like three on this list, right? If if we had this ranking after two years of Kirby Smart, but like it didn't necessarily keep up. There's no guarantee in life that it's going to keep up. Now, Ohio State is a better program than Georgia for both Ryan Day reasons and also because of Ohio State reasons. Uh, you know, so I don't think that that's quite as likely that they're going to fall behind somebody in their own conference. But it's just a big assumption. I hate making assumptions about what guys are going to do. Right. And so, like, the assumption is Ohio State going to make the national championship game every other year because Ryan Day has made it once in two years. Like, that's an assumption, like, that you wouldn't have to make, for instance, with Lincoln Riley because he's never made it in four years. Yeah. Hey! Yeah. Well, Boom shakalaka. Well, I, this is, I think that the funny thing about this is that a lot of this ends up being backhanded compliments and backhanded insults to different programs. Because I mentioned, I think Kirby Smart's better than a lot of people think he is. Because I think that George is a way worse program than I think a lot of people think. Oh, and so with, with Ohio <laughs> right. State, it's kind of backhanded because I'm saying I don't think Ryan Day has proven that he's as good as people, you know, being in that top five, top three conversation. Because I think Ohio State might be the first or second best program in college football. So that certainly plays into my calculus. And, and, and frankly, right. I mean, Oklahoma should have beaten Georgia in that semifinal. Yeah. And how would we look at Kirby Smart and Lincoln Riley right. differently if Lincoln Riley had been in a title game and Kirby Smart hadn't? Um, I actually think this is the least interesting part of the discussion now, because I think our discussion <laughs> so far has been very good. Dabo's second, Saban's first. Easy. Like, like what else? I don't even know that we have to say everybody listening to this would agree with us. Uh, Dabo Sweeney, unbelievable. 819 winning percentage in his 12 years, his 12 full years, because he took over in the middle of a year. So I just threw that year out. I didn't count it for the past or for Dabo. His 12 full years, 819. The 12 full years before him, 589. <laughs> so a, a, an increase of 0.230 in That's the winning crazy. percentage. He's the greatest coach in Clemson history. And Saban, believe it or not, an even greater increase than Dabo. So the greatest winning percentage increase in your tenure compared to the same number of years previous, Saban was number one, Matt Campbell was number two, Dabo was number three. They were all pretty close. Saban, 881 winning percentage at Alabama, 619 winning percentage before him. So Saban's increase was 262, Campbell's was 240, Dabo's was 230. Saban's the greatest coach in college football history. And I think the most interesting discussion here, Shahan, is in our vote of who would you want just for this season and who would you want long term for this season? Nick Saban was the overwhelming winner. Again, as an Ohio skewed audience, we need more of you to be part of it so we can get a more wide swath of voters for just this season. It went Saban, Day, Dabo, Riley, Campbell, Fisher, Smart, Kelly. But when people said, who would you want long term? Nick Saban was fifth on the texter list, Shahan. Ryan Day one, Lincoln Riley two, Dabo three, Matt Campbell four, Saban five, Fisher six, Smart seven, Kelly eight. I would pick Saban for both because I think he's got another eight years in him with this contract and I will take eight years of Nick Saban over whatever I think I'm getting out of anybody else, whether it's 10, 20, 30, 40 years Give me eight more years of the best guy to ever do it because I don't think he's going to slow down at all. Yeah, I think that that's uh, 
Whenever people go into these hiring processes, I think a lot of the time everybody's thinking like, well, you know, uh, that guy probably can't be Frank Beamer for us. And if you can get four good years out of a head coach, that's not a bad place to be. We, we have this obsession with trying to find the next lifer, and that just does not happen in college football. So if you can if you can guarantee me three to four years of Nick Saban, I'd, I'd probably take five years of Nick Saban over a guaranteed 10 over the rest of the guys on this list because Nick Saban is the greatest coach in the history of college football. Yeah, no, I think I think we agree on that. I I take I take Saban first and Dabo second on both lists. Yeah. And and then just like and then everybody else can fight it out for the rest of the stuff. But both in just in terms of program builder, sustained success, they still have a lot of energy. They still know how to recruit. They still know how to relate to teenagers and 20 somethings. I I just don't think there's any doubt about it. So in the end, Shahan, his list was Nick Saban, one, Dabo Sweeney, two, Lincoln Riley, three, Jimbo Fisher, four, Brian Kelly, five, Matt Campbell, six, Kirby Smart, seven, Ryan Day, eight. My list was Nick Saban, one, Dabo Sweeney, two, Ryan Day, three, Lincoln Riley, four, Matt Campbell, five, Jimbo Fisher, six, Brian Kelly, seven, Kirby Smart, eight. Another interesting discussion. We don't uh, disagree on purpose, but sometimes it just happens because he's young and I'm old and we see the world in very different ways. Hey, we're going to come back and do our little personal, hey, did you know this about us question? We'll do that next on the College Football Playoff Show. Doug and Shahan back. Shahan, my question for us this week, for you, and it's mostly again, so an old man can tell a story. What is the most embarrassing thing that has ever happened to you at a sporting event. Maybe you were playing as a youth. Maybe it was intramurals in college. Maybe you were there as a fan. Maybe you were there as a media member. What is the most embarrassing thing to happen at a sporting event? The thing that immediately jumps to me is the one time over the summer that I played like, not exactly AAU, but just sort of like a a travel sort of competitive league thing and... The thing with those leagues is that there are just such varying skill levels, right? Like that, that's the thing that's always crazy about playing in something like that. And we played some team that was just mostly some guys who got together like us uh, the first time. Um, and then in the second game, I don't know. I, I really should have just looked up who was on this team because clearly they were some killers. But uh, I did get dunked on. I, I'd never been dunked on before by a guy who was like nice. six foot nine. And at that point, I decided I don't play defense anymore. I just shoot threes. <laughs> Three and D with no D. He's just the three. So you're that guy. That's the thing. I mean, that's the thing I hate. I hate about guys getting posterized. Lots of the time, the guy getting posterized is the help. Yes. Because the first guy got blown by and the other guy was like, well, let me help. Oh, wait. Here's a basketball on my face with 10 flashes going off. And it's like, that guy got posterized. And it's like, he was trying to help the guy who got beat. So you just gave up. So that would never happen. Well, and the thing is, too, is that... I, I felt like I tried to foul him to prevent him from making it. And that makes it worse when it's an and one, when it's just like, (laughs) oh man, I was trying, I was trying to like take one for the team, you know, use up my six fouls or five fouls or whatever it was back in the day. And when it still just doesn't matter, that's, it's it's, it's a bad feeling. Okay. So this is one of my, uh, go-to stories that I wanted to tell, which is why I asked the question. So I was paid by a professional journalism organization, the Cleveland Plain Dealer to cover the Kentucky Derby many moons ago. 
And I was in the press box at the Kentucky Derby and I had to go to the restroom. So I went over to a restroom door and it's one of those things I like you go and like at a, you know, a restaurant or whatever. And it doesn't say men and women. It says like the theme of the place. So again, I'm paid to cover a horse racing event. The door says mares. And I'm like, mare, mare, a mare. That's like male, right? Like a mare, like a male, like a mare. A mare is a male. A mare is a male, male, mare. Right, mare. And I go in and I'm in there going to the restroom and I'm finishing up and a woman walks in. And I'm like, mare. (laughs) Paid by an organization to cover a horse race. And the props where I leave, the problem, I go around the corner and there's another door that says Colts. <laughs> and if they had been next to each other and I had to decide if I was a Colt or a mare, I would have known what I was. But it was around the corner. So I was in a vacuum. I had to decide, am I a mare or not? And I decided that I was. And if it had said Philly, if it had said Phillies, right. I know I'm not a Philly. Right. <laughs> but a mare, I was like, I think I'm a mare. So um, don't send me to cover horse racing, please. I, I got to ask, do people uh, do people who read horse racing coverage, do they also tweet at you? You never played the game because I feel like I feel like after horse racing and walking into the wrong bathroom for, after not knowing what a mare is. Right. That's that's prime opportunity. Thank God that was pre Twitter. <laughs> that was pre Twitter. Or that someone someone would have snapped a photo of me like coming out of the women's room and been like, this guy doesn't know what a mare is. So, um, like I always say, just because you don't understand a sport doesn't mean you can't cover it. I show up at anything, you ask the winners why they're happy and the losers why they're sad, and you can write a story about it. That's Doug Maurice, professional journalist here on the College Football Playoff Show. All right, so thanks to you guys. We went a little long. I like that coaching stuff. I, I just think it's, it's, I like, there's no right answer, Shahan, because it's like how you value things, right? And like, what do you take into account? And I think it makes for a good discussion. Um, so I hope people enjoyed it. We had the Q&A show earlier this week where we answer questions. We're going to keep rolling through. We have a couple more teams to do. I think we have Oregon on the horizon for a week. I think we have North Carolina on the horizon. I think we have Cincinnati on the horizon. And as we get closer to the season, Shahan and I will make our playoff predictions. And then once the games start, we'll be kicking teams out and inviting teams in and continuing discussion on this podcast. Again, if you want to ask questions and take part in surveys and get to have a vote, Right. This was a big vote. You guys made the deciding vote. Fifty two percent to forty eight percent. That fifty two percent kept Notre Dame on this podcast. If you want to be part of it, it's a free trial. It's a buck a month. Eight one seven four four two six seven eight nine. Write it down. Eight one seven four four two six seven eight nine. For Shahan J. Haraja, I'm Doug Lee Maurice. And that was the College Football Playoff Show.